to a very special edition of God Stories Radio. This particular session, session three, we're going to be taking you live to hear Mike Jewett give his testimony in front of a packed house at Real Life Christian Church a couple of months ago. I'm very excited about this, Mike. I am too. Uh, to, to see all the people that I will be able to help from from it. A lot of people are, I'm sure, going through some of the same stuff that uh, is in the testimony, and I just hope that I'm able to help and encourage and build up and give people hope. I happened to notice afterwards there were quite a few people that approached you singly in questions, having you elaborate on certain points and things like that. They did. Uh, They uh, got me before we started our small group session and uh, even down in the lobby after we were done, they all, you know, a lot of them just came up to me and said, thank you very much for the testimony. I went through some of the same stuff. It was uh, an encouragement and a help. That is fantastic, Mike. want to be sure to invite you back for next week's session. Session four is going to be on what is a testimony. A Christian testimony. Christian testimony. Thank you, Mike. Where we're going to actually delve into what is the testimony and kind of break it down step by step you know not that there's you know steps that are written in stone about how to give a testimony but there's a lot of people out there that don't realize you know you think a testimony you're given your court people know what that is but uh, not necessarily a changed life testimony correct Um, and there's a lot of them out there God wants uh, he builds testimonies in each person so that they can we can go out and tell others and that's how other people hear about what God is doing and get to know God a lot of times. You know, a lot of times we seem to to feel like we're the only one on the planet going through that one particular situation, then you find out there's thousands. That's right, absolutely. In the beginning of mine, I thought I was the only one. What was going on? But uh, after a little bit and uh, learned a little bit about it, as you'll hear in my testimony at the, at the end of it, uh, at this point, I wouldn't change a thing. That's true, and very compelling testimony. So with that said, without further ado, we're going to turn it over to Mike, again recorded live at Real Men on a Monday night, and you are thoroughly going to enjoy this. Come back with us next week for session four, and we're going to talk about what is a testimony. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And don't forget, when you visit our website at GodStoriesRadio.com, that we have a blog. And uh, if you have any questions, even comments that you would like to make, we'd be uh, happy to uh, answer them. Also, if anybody has a testimony that they would uh, like to give and contact us, we'd be on to listen. God bless. All right, again, my name is Mike Jewett. I've been uh, coming here for about uh, two and a half years. Uh, God brought me here. I was born and raised in Springfield, Massachusetts, Western Mass. <laughs> I am uh, the oldest of seven children. I have... Uh, Three, four sisters and two brothers that are twins. We were brought up uh, Catholic. Uh, my father was a, a hardcore alcoholic. Uh, he would come home and beat my mother every every night, every night. And just think of, try to imagine a seven seven kids in a three bedroom ranch when all this is going on and what's been how just how it sounded. When I thought I was old enough, I would step in front to try and, but he would hit me and take care of me, and then he would go to her. I never, ever, ever heard my father say that he loved me, never. All through uh, grade school, I was picked on and bullied through most of it. Uh, At church, I was uh, 
being a Catholic, I was an altar boy. Uh, then it came to the first marriage. It lasted 15 and a half years. I do have four wonderful children from it, and now six awesome grandchildren. There was uh, cheating and drugs on her end. Um, uh, one of her friends would come up to me and told me that don't she, I was the last to know. Uh, don't she, she's doing so much coke that her nose bleeds. So when she, when things happened for me to go, we were going to go through the divorce, and we used to go to church. And uh, that kind of drove me back to a certain extent. Who, at this point, do you think is trying to get my attention and tapping me on the shoulder? And I didn't get it. Because there was a second marriage. And that lasted about 16 years. And it ended eight ye or six years, eight months ago, all along through the marriage and the other one, I thinking that I was a, a good guy, a nice guy. And one of the things that God had me learn early on in this walk these past six-plus years is that my self-centeredness, my selfishness, and all about me certainly helped in the breakup of those marriages. So we go back six years, eight months ago when Mikey was living high. I was uh, living in Hudson, Florida, living in a $350,000 house, Income was at $180,000, and I was driving a nice brand-new Chrysler 300 loaded. And the only thing that was shining through was pride and arrogance. And when it came to the point when she uttered the word divorce on August 6th of 06, that's when basically my new journey began, and it wasn't going to be a journey to look forward to, especially someone without God. So for, from August 6th, to September 15th, I bent over backwards trying to change her mind so we, this wouldn't happen. One of her conversations during that, um, she told me flat out, pl uh, plain flat out that I've planned this for years. She also told me that I haven't loved you ever. It's not in, on here, but when she said she wanted a divorce, there was six words spoken. I think it was six or seven words spoken. You're fat and you have bad breath. That was it. Okay. On November 15th, she went above and beyond, thinking that I was going to get arrested. She went to the Pasco County Sheriff's Office and told them that I hit her and pushed her to the ground, which never happened. When my father was an alcoholic, one of the things I did swear to seeing what happened there that I would never ever do anything like that and it also helped me not to drink either so so um, so it didn't come down to the point where I was arrested but at six o'clock on that Friday night I was escorted out of my house never to see it again all on false accusations November 15th and probably I would say no more than three weeks time I lost my wife and I thought she was my best friend and we lost, or I lost all my friends because they were our friends. The house and all its contents. And it was, we did um, antiques and stuff like that. I collected my tools that I, 30 years, gone. My golf clubs, Paul and I were just talking about that, gone. And 95% of my income was also gone because 
in that again within that three week stretch, and I lost my car a little bit later. So do you think someone was trying to get my attention again? This time, as I pray each day and I thank him for it each day, thank you for the two by four upside the head. I do. I thank him for it each day. Now as I go through this, even as dark as it was and still is, but now with faith and hope, God will show me just how good he is. Amen. On that night when I was escorted out of my house, um, there was a friend. We had a, There was still a friend. She lived in Tampa, knew a lot of people in Tampa, so she found someone that had an empty house that I was able to stay for a couple weeks. By chance, the apartment complex right across the street from the office, $99 move in. That was me. Now I had to walk to work now. On that weekend, for whatever reason, she and her daughter, her oldest daughter, went out for a Sunday drive. And they came across a church in Lutz, Florida, which is easily 15, 20 miles from where they lived, called Grace Family Church. And they couldn't, get, they couldn't wait to get back to the office on Monday morning. You've got to come to this church. You can't, we can't believe what it's like, and so on and so forth. And I went. And looking back, I figure it was uh, September 24th of 06, uh, and I haven't stopped since. I would go to the services, and tears would be flowing each week, either through the praise and worship or sermon or both. We've heard the uh, expression, walking with God. Since I was told I was fat, I took it literally. I started walking and talking with God on a five-mile walk each day, and it took all five miles, too, for sure, <laughs> to, to uh, get to know God, get a personal in, in, intimate relationship started. There was two constant themes. One constant theme was that I could not forgive her because of what she had done to me. Then it got even a little worse on February 1st. She knew where I was going to be, her lawyer's office. And so she, uh, she called uh, the uh, sheriff's office when she got home from work that night and said I was stalking her at her place of uh, work. And again, that was January 31st, February 1st, we were supposed to be at her office, her, her lawyer's office. The first thing my lawyer said to me when I walked in, he said, where were you last night? What did you do? And he told me what was going on, and thank goodness, I went to a gym there that only costs $10 a month in Tampa, and you have time stamp in, time stamp out. And the day and the time that she chose, I was 35 miles away. Amen to God. Yes, sir. <clears throat> so that stopped another chance. She kind of knew that one of my, what do you want to say, weaknesses, and not a weakness, but a, uh, uh, that uh, jail was something that I feared. So that made it even worse as I walked with God and that constant theme that uh, I can't forgive her, I can't do it now, I can't. And then I figure it was probably sometime in uh, the end of February, beginning of March at this church, you walked in and there was a brick on every chair in the sanctuary. And the sanctuary was bigger than the one that we have. When I was there, there was... Five years ago, it was 6,000 people at that one. So there was a brick on every chair. And, it, of course, it was about forgiveness. At the end of this, the, the message, uh, he said, uh, 
Pastor Craig said that you can stand where you are, sit where you are, but if you have unforgiveness in your heart and you want to get rid of it, come up to the stage, throw it on the stage, throw it on the ground, whatever you did. So I did. I took the brick, went up to the stage, I pounded it on the stage, it broke in two, and um, that's when I, uh, I forgave her. And then about two weeks later, God burdened my heart to start praying for her. And I've been pr- and I've been praying for every day since. Then April second comes, and this could have been the worst day of all. Court date, and I had a lawyer that told me that with your financials, yes, I made 180 the year before, but losing everything in the house and the, my 95 percent of my income. But she was—I'd recommend that lawyer to anybody. She was good. He ordered me to pay her $1,200 a month, and I wasn't even making that for myself at this point. I do know what happens when you go to, or when you're in contempt of court. Anybody? That's right. And what did I tell you before? Sorry. So I even told him, I'm going back to the office, I'm going to kill myself. So I went back to the office, and I uh, got on the computer. And I started Googling over-the-counter drugs that are lethal. Tried to remember if anybody I knew had a gun. So here I am sitting there ready to do it. I, and God knew I was, I was that close. He knew it. And all of a sudden, pops in my mind, why don't you check your email? Now, where did that come from? <laughs> okay. So I did. I checked my email. And the very first email that was there, it only came in about an hour before I got there. It was an email that uh, uh, was one of those long emails, and I read halfway through or not even halfway through, and I deleted it, and I went to the next one. I said, wait a minute, and I went back to it, and I read it all the way to the bottom. It was an email from Oz Hillman about this book, The Upside of Adversity. All right? This book... I figured probably, literally, saved my life and spiritually. I read it, it went down to the bottom, and it was a, a link to go to the website, and uh, you could download the first chapter and read it. I read it three times. So then it took me about two or three weeks to scrape up the 20 bucks, order the book. I Actually, I'm in, in the middle of reading it right now. I've read it 12 times already. Reading the book, getting the book, I believe that the book was sent to let me know that God has me in what has been called a Joseph calling. Also explaining why all this adversity, coupled with, with all of this adversity, what's going on, coupled with a piece of hope. And at this point, the only thing that I saw going around me, everything was big, everything was huge. Divorce and the house and just everything was huge. And, uh, you know, maybe possibly looking at uh, jail time and, and I didn't understand, but the book helped explain a little bit that God has a plan and a purpose for my life, along with the, the Joseph Calling thing. I was baptized on July 21st, 2007. And during those past few months, even to now, while all this has been going down, the big things and the little things, uh, I never owned a Bible. And at this church, when you give yourself to the Lord, you can go to the, the kiosk in the middle, of the, in the, shank, in the uh, lobby, and they'll give you one of those paperback uh, New Testaments. And once I got it, I read it like two times within a month. Upon, and again, it was the New Testament. 
and I was also uh, serving as a greeter there. I can picture it happening right now as I was getting, getting ready to go out to get my spot as service was ending. I was making my way to the end of the aisle, and all of a sudden on, one, on the screen, the, the screen I was, I was getting out left side of the, serv- the sanctuary, and on the screen was a verse, and I stopped in my tracks, and I actually said, whoa. Mm-hmm. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek him in all that you do, and he will direct your paths. Absolutely. That's the NLT version. With all things, with all this stuff feeling realized and started to feel, I started to feel lonely. I started to feel self-pity, self-this, self-that. But one thing I did realize and started to realize, I didn't have an addiction. I never have, uh, thank God. And I think, like I said before, my father helped me as far as that goes as far, uh, in, the, in drinking. But I did realize that when I started to feel this stuff and losing my peace and my joy, all I did was pull out this, and I started to read it. And within a matter of an hour or two, the next thing I know, I realize I've been reading for an hour or two. So every time that happened, I would pull this out and start reading it. That's my drug. The principle learned there, God's word is a movable anchor in times of storms. And as I continued to walk with uh, my Heavenly Father, I felt that uh, he wanted me to uh, submit to him fully. I had a conversation with him, and I distinctly remember this conversation. I'll give you this and this, but I won't give you that. I won't give you that, but I'll give you this. And that lasted for a little while because then I just squeezed and squeezed and squeezed until the point I says, okay, I give up. I submit fully. That's what it took. And trust me, he knows how to do it. <laughs> and as things were still being removed little by little, income and, and time and, and wanting more of me, um, needs were being met. As things started to continue to get less, one instance I do remember uh, at the office I was affiliated with, uh, I would say I think it's at least three times that I walked into the office one day and it went to the back room where the coffee thing was, and there was three bags of groceries there each time. I mean, I was living on like 12 to $15 every other week on groceries. So, and I never said anything to anybody about it either. They were just there. And in the apartment that I was living in, when I went to Pastor Craig, uh, with all this going on, and I says, you know, I need some help. I need something. We sat down and we talked, and he says, we do have a men's group. It's called Wild Men, and we have, um, we have um, divorce care class that's going on. So I did them both. And I went to the divorce care class, and it's a 13-week course. I think it's the same one they do here. And uh, they suggest that you do it twice. So when you do a half a year with the two people that facilitate the, uh, the class, they get to know you. This, uh, I was only like about two or three weeks left, and I was almost all the way out of the building, and Pete came to the, uh, the doorway and yelled down the hallway, Mike, wait up. And uh, he says, what's up? I says, well, nothing really. I've just been praying about it. And uh, he said, praying about what? And I had the apartment. And a woman had called that I knew through the office that she had, and you think about this in, um, it's 07 now, 
you think about the, the housing market back in 07, she had 26 houses. So that was not a good situation. So I kind of knew her situation, she kind of knew mine, but she called me and said that uh, I have a, a huge house in Tampa, there's five bedrooms in it, I'll let you live there for free. Just, I'm gonna try and fill up the bedrooms and just make sure there's no orgies and mow the lawn and take care of the, take care of the property. But again, I knew her situation. So I'm telling Peter the story, and I'm trying to have him lean towards the apartment because they were already going to give it to me because I paid everything on time. But little did I know that another two or three months down the road that I wouldn't even be able to afford that. So Peter said, and Peter told me, he said, he said and again, I'm trying to lean him towards the apartment. He said, that's God opening a door for you. And if it closes, and his exact words were, if it closes in six months, he'll open another one. So, guess what? Six months later, it did foreclose, and uh, I had to be out and needed another place to stay. In the past five and a half years, that was the first, the house was the first place in six places in the last five and a half years that God has opened up that not my own. There was two in Tampa. Then from Tampa, I went to Massachusetts for two, and he brought me to Claremont. I'm now presently in one of them. Principle learned there, listening to God is essential to walking with God. And remember the day I was escorted out of my home? I was given 10 minutes to get clothes and essentials leaving with two suitcases. For the last five and a half years, I have been living out of those two suitcases. There was a stretch of three years actually living out of those two suitcases and sleeping on couches. Now we can go back to that uh, house on, uh, in Tampa. There was no lawnmower there, and she wanted me to mow the lawn. So the first week goes by, and I had to call her, Jan, you know I don't have any money. I can't buy a lawnmower. If you want me to mow the lawn, you need to get one to me. So she had one come. The guy that dropped it off said that um, he just went through it, you know, put a new spark plug, new oil, I mean, uh, air filter and such. So everything was cool the first week, second week, third week, no problems whatsoever. But then there was the fourth week. I took the lawnmower over where I usually started to mow the grass, pulled the cord, and it conked out within five seconds, less than five seconds, three or four seconds it conked out. Did it about six to eight more times. Same thing. Started, conked out. Started, conked out. Okay, I put it in the garage. I'll, I'll do it next week. Next week comes. Take it over to the same spot. Pull the cord. Starts, conks out. Do it about a half a dozen times. Then I bring it over to the driveway. And sure enough, brand new uh, spark plug, brand new air filter. I squeezed the uh, fuel hose and took it back to the spot. Pulled the cord, started, conked out. Did that about a dozen times. Okay, I'll do it next week. Put it in the garage, and next week comes. But during this week, and it was, I know it was a Tuesday or Wednesday, if you're wondering why all these dates and everything else, I was taught to journal. So, so during this week, was it either a Tuesday or Wednesday, I read somewhere or heard something said, and again, remember, everything that's going on around me is huge to my, in my eyes. It said that you can go to God for the small things. Amen. And I didn't even think of it. So 
I took the third week comes. I take it over to the uh, the same spot, pull the cord, starts conks out. Do it about a half a dozen times, and I take it back, start walking back, and I remembered what I just said. So I looked up. I said, "Okay, God, you know I don't have the money to fix this. The grass is three weeks long. I need your help to get this done." And I was told and that I can come to you for the small things. I pulled the cord. It started. Mowed the front yard. Mowed the side yards. Mowed the backyard. No problem whatsoever. None whatsoever. Put it back in the garage. Next Sunday comes. Pull the cord. Starts. Conks out. <laughs> yes, it did. But I did have a roommate. He was a cable guy. And this was a Sunday, and he happened to be training somebody. And here I am out in the front yard with a lawnmower. And the guy that he was with, he stopped by to get a glass of water. He said, what do you, what's wrong? I says, I don't know. He had it fixed in five minutes. So he had me let them mow the yard one week and brought somebody to fix it the next. Amen. On November, in November of 2011, I get a call from a gentleman in here, and he knew my situation as well. I had been walking. I was still walking up, up to five, five, five and a half years to this point, walking everywhere. Uh, I would get rides here and there from brothers or whatever else, but I was walking. And I got a phone call. It was a Tuesday. Where he says, I'm going to take you to lunch on Tuesday. I'm going to pick you up at work because I had, my, had to have my son come and pick me up at work and take me to work, and I had to wait for him and text, okay, I'm ready, and stand around and wait for a half hour or whatever. This, uh, this guy called me and said, okay, I'm going to pick you up Tuesday. After you got to work, I'm going to take you to lunch. I said, okay, fine. And we go to lunch, and he says uh, that uh, he has been blessed to be able to get a newer, bigger car for his growing family. I'm giving you mine. <laughs> I'm giving you mine, so praise God that uh, I don't have to walk anymore. Another principle there, God works acts on the behalf of those who wait for him. Amen. And I try to stand firm on verse on Isaiah 64, 4. Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on the behalf of those who wait for him. Coming up on five years ago, as again, as I told you, there was a couple themes as I was walking, and uh, since I'm uh, not really working, I don't have a job and no car and so on and so forth. And and you you can look back and see some of the things, the reasons why, you know, two places in Tampa, six months apiece. All right, he knew I was going somewhere. That's why no jo no door opened up, up to Massachusetts, first place, seven months. Never got a job there either, and I tried. And then the next place was 19 months, but there was a church there, and I, I just got actually put on their payroll for, and then God moved me to Claremont. So I was walking and talking with God as usual, also fasting. I, someone had told me, you know, if you wanted to get closer to God, all you got to do is fast. And that's all I needed to hear. So I started fasting once a month, three to four days in a row in a week. During one of my fasts, it was in July, again, asking what his will is for my life, what does he want me to do, 
It was uh, July 8th. I don't even know if I woke up. All I saw in black letters was the word radio. That's all I saw. So I know what I saw, but I don't know what I saw. And a couple days before this, I never heard of Charles Stanley before. But a couple of days before July 8th, I was woken out of a sound sleep at 5 o'clock in the morning for one of his radio messages. At 5 o'clock in the morning, he's on in Tampa. And I heard the message, and I, whoa. So I started waking up listening to his messages. The next, if you listen to his message on July 9th, it said that you can, uh, you know, if you have questions and so on and so forth, you can go back to God and ask him, you know, what do you mean? What's, you know, what are you trying to say? And so I did that night on Wednesday night. The next morning, July 10th, I woke up. Again, I don't know even know if I woke up, but all I saw, bigger black letters, the word radio. I still have no clue, but um, I have realized as well in the past, uh, I'd say about two years, that God has been starting to bring men across my path into my circle, need something like this, or need to hope uh, get some hope or encouragement, especially um, we studied this book started a year ago, January, and I went from like five or six guys to 15 in a matter of a couple of weeks. As I continue to walk and talk with my Heavenly Father, continue to strengthen my personal intimate relationship with Him, continue to fully be submitted as best I know how, God still has His thumb on me, and as He controls all that is happening, as He is humbling me, as He is training me, as He is teaching me, I know that God has a purpose and a plan for my life in what He wants me to do could possibly, or wouldn't even possibly even imagine what's in store. Another thing learned during this calling, I could not do or be what he wants me, what God wants me to be or do, the man I was six years, eight months ago or before. And as he is guiding me, um, I love Psalm 32, verse 8, awesome promises. I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you, and I will watch over you. Awesome promises. Father has had me in places of isolation, just him and me, for a long time. And I do know that he wanted me to find out who I really am and who who I am in him. I am so excited and trying to wait patiently to see where and when God is going to take me in his next move for my life. I am at a point now that all I want to do is please him, honor him, serve him, obey him, and give him all the glory. I believe that is exactly where God wants me, and I believe that God will not forsake me or leave me where I am. God is faithful. With all that has happened over the past six years, eight months, with all that has been taken from me over the past six years, eight months, and knowing what I have learned, I would not change one thing. Not at all. Except that I would uh, have come to know him sooner. That's for sure. I know that it is going to be so much better, as I said before, than I could or would possibly even ever imagine. I heard the statement and wrote it down right away. God makes a promise. Faith believes it. Hope anticipates it. Patience waits quietly for it. 
As you heard early on, I am the oldest of seven, with four of my own and six grandkids. When God found me six years, eight months ago, I was the, the only one in my family that knows Jesus for who he is. So there's a lot of work to be done. Each day, I ask for all their salvation. I ask God to continue to give me the strength to wait patiently for his will, his way, and in his timing.